Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Summit Bid Podcast. Uh, my name is Kemper. My name is Toby. And uh, we're going to talk about some, uh, well, we got some interesting photo news, uh, rumors and stuff. Mm-hmm. We've got some interesting stuff coming out of Sony and then some interesting personal camera news, some switching oh, yeah? around of equipment. <laughs> and then some big picture uh, questions we're going to ask about medium format and yeah, because kind of the future Fuji, of the industry. Fuji announced a camera. I don't know whether you've heard about it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of getting buried underneath all of the A1 all hubbub. Of the A1 hubbub, and it'll probably get reburied by the, the uh, Sony's F- next thing. Sony's, ne- Sony's next thing, but yeah. So um, before we jump into all of that, um, we would like to invite you to um, like this video if you kind of are like this kind of content, this photography content, and kind of commentary on all of it, and then, uh, and then hit that subscribe button if mm-hmm. you enjoy... Um, these photography videos, podcasts, and uh, we do a lot of outdoor stuff too. So yeah, we try to keep it, it some variety. And if you're listening on iTunes, you can also uh, leave us a review um, on iTunes there. That's much appreciated as well. Uh, yeah, we really do appreciate it. It helps our channel. We're 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 actually, our growth has picked up quite a bit over the last uh, several weeks. And uh, we really appreciate that. And um yeah, it just it does help us out. It helps uh, YouTube. You know, when you like something, when you subscribe, YouTube really shows it to more people. Like we're seeing it in action. So indeed. All right. So Sony's new announcement is the FX three. FX three. So okay. we have the FX nine, and then we have the FX six, and now we have the FX three. This is unprecedented. Sony's never released anything like this camera before. It also was not really rumored at all. It is a, a photo of the camera leaked out this morning by uh, at Joe Lowry on Twitter, looks like. And he just has the camera, probably been using it for a while. I don't know if he's going to be in trouble with Sony because... Well, they also have a an actual product photo like that you'd see on B&H. Mm-hmm. It looks like a... Uh, like um, like an A6600 has been going to In-N-Out Burger too much. Yeah, well, In-N-Out Burger and possibly uh, spending a little too much time at the gym as well. Oh, yeah, maybe so, um, maybe so. Because, I mean, this thing looks chunky. And uh, really, like, the only camera that you can compare this to in the past is the Sigma FP. Uh, oh, but yeah. But this looks a lot more usable and, and potentially better built than that camera. So the question that immediately jumps to mind is, is, is how does this fit? I mean, Sony already had the A7S III, and then you could go from the A7S III to the FX9. The mm. pricing structure there is about 3500 for the S3, and it jumps all the way up to, I believe, like 6000 on the nose for the FX6. Um, so no one was really complaining about wanting a camera in the middle, but obviously Sony thought, that was necessary. Right. So with these cinema cameras, the lower number means lower features, higher number is better. Is that is that how it works? Yes. And that seems okay. to be something all of the industries kind of with the cinema cameras. Onto. See, like I feel like the the A one has thrown a a wrench into everything because it was all building up where the higher number better for Sony. Mm-hmm. And then like now the A1 is back down at the very beginning. It's just for strange. So now I'm like, oh, does this mean like, you know, it's like with Canon and Nikon, the lower number has normally meant 
Higher um, end. Higher end, right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. At least I, on yeah. their higher end cameras anyway. I mean, it would make sense looking at it. And then it, it says on Sony Alpha Rumors that it's going to be uh, 3,795 euros, which is what in dollars? So like 4,500? The, the exact translation is $4,601.63. Oh, okay. cents. So, so probably 4,500. Yeah, 4,500. Uh, Americans usually get a little bit of a, of a break. It may on, even be 4,000 straight up. Like sometimes they do that. So yeah, it who could knows? Be. I so here's the question: it it doesn't shoot 8K. That's already seemingly been confirmed for right. sure. But it does shoot 4K 120. What is the spec they put in this camera that makes you that still keeps the S3 relevant, um, but also uh, gives this camera a spot? What would what would you what would you say? I have no idea. Like with the form factor, it definitely. Like it's it's gonna rival the S3. It it seems very strange to me as this seems like it's gonna just well, I guess it's gonna be more expensive than the S3. Mm-hmm. So I and I don't know all of the features. Like we really don't know all the features it's gonna have. We really know n- nothing except that it has CF Express A card slots, which is right. the same as right. S3. The same as the S3. It has a flip screen, which the A1 doesn't have. Um, it has a, it looks like it has the focus knob is on the top, which I find very interesting mm-hmm. that the focus point, um, joystick. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. It's a really interesting design camera. Um, it's kind of nice to see a new design come out of Sony. Um, mm-hmm. like, cause Sony has kind of been stuck in their design language now. It seems like for well, a while. So yeah, I don't know if I would get too excited about it, uh, showing things coming for the, stills line because this yeah. has been built from the ground up by sony's cinema line it says it on the top the the naming structure and everything and it just it it has certain things like it has um three and a half mil uh basically like a tripod screw up screw oh plates. yeah i'm not describing on the top. this very well it's on the top and uh let me see if it looks like it on, the on the sides side too. too yeah so this is built to be rigged out so right. here's what I'm here's what I'm willing to maybe guess is it's basically an S3, but it shoots raw internal because that would put it in a place in the lineup that would give it a uh, a real standout feature, uh, 16-bit raw internal oh, okay. recording to the SD card or um, the CF Express or the CF Express card. A is it A? Yes, yeah, and. That really would set it apart because you do have to use external recorders for pretty much everything else that shoots raw, except for the Sigma FP, which is what this seems like this was kind of released to compete with a little bit. Right. Um, but I, honestly, this looks really exciting. Um, I, it's still not really in the bracket that I'm I'm looking in. So personally. Probably not a camera I'm going to pick up. I, I actually just picked up a new camera. I, I got it in the mail yesterday, and we're, ooh, we're shooting ooh. on it today. We are. We are shooting on it today, um, so we can't show it to you. So, uh, but we, well, we can show you the image anyway. We got, I got the Z6 II. Yep. Uh, and I am kind of eating my words from a few months ago. I believe on this podcast, I said that the Z6 II was completely underwhelming and I didn't really like the announcement very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's maybe not the most impressive camera on a spec sheet that's ever been released. Um, it's It actually 
still doesn't even have the 4K60. They're going to put that in a firmware update hopefully this month. Yeah, I think they said in the middle of February. So when they announced it. So like it seemed like it was a um, pre-thought through thing. It's not Mm -hmm. something that, yeah. So in the autofocus seems to be very much improved um, over the Z6 one. Uh, just more reliable, although the video autofocus was never a huge issue right. on the original Z6. It was more uh, model uh, eye detect autofocus, stuff like that. Right, um, that makes sense. So, and uh, and tracking, right? Um, I know that the original Z system, like the tracking was just not up to normal Nikon standards. And what's kind of funny is, is that Nikon has been known as the tracking company for a long time, like their uh, their D um, their D series their uh, D six D five D four they always like pretty much had the best autofocus you know mm-hmm. so I think that was kind of a disappointment but it seems like they're getting it back on track um, so yeah so it sounds to me can you can you kind of talk about kind of some of the big reasons you decided to uh, move on from the EOS R to the the Z six two yeah so. One of the things that was hitting me as a as a pain point was the uh, no full frame 4K. I mean, to have it come down to something as uh, simple and kind of obvious as uh, full frame 4K is kind of sad, but that's mm. a huge part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just purchased the 10 to 18 in order to get a wide 4K option. Okay, um, on the EOS R because I was I was really getting kind of irritated with. Um, having to, to shoot a lot in 1080 and, and as we're, we're looking at doing more and more, uh, uh, video work, potentially uh, higher stakes video work. I just kind of wasn't super interested in shooting a ton of 1080 and mixing that together. Okay. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the slow motion, I, I don't need a lot of slow motion to be super happy. I'm not looking necessarily even for 4k 120, um, as a must have, but mm-hmm. the EOS R shot 1080 in 60 P um, and 720 and 120p. Mm. And that was starting to feel a little limiting. I used the OSR for about six months or so. Um, and it, an excellent tool, uh, even for, for video making really usable. But I think that the, the image quality was finally grinding me down. And once I kind of got wide angle 4k again and was enjoying that sharpness and, and everything, I was kind of wanting that low light performance back. Right uh, in right. wide angle 4K, uh, wanting some of those features back, um, but I I actually feel like I, I learned a lot from the uh, EOS R. Um, specifically, I, I had kind of gone down this very prime heavy road with my A6600, and uh, was using mostly primes, and that doesn't really work super mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. Uh, with a lot of what we do. It's something that I, I hope I can have zooms and primes in the future. Uh, I kind of have that going with the system with Nikon with the 21.8 and the 24 to 70 f4. Okay, um, So I've kind of got both, uh, kind of got some uh, zoom and prime action going. Uh, and I hope to expand on that in, in the future. And then the last reason is uh, I haven't been... You know, beyond 8-bit 4K, I'm pretty satisfied with that for a lot of what we do. That's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am interested in exploring some higher quality uh, uh, images and, and just kind of learning how raw video works. I can now shoot raw video um, if I want to. 
Uh, it's got 10-bit as well in full frame, which was something I didn't have before. I could only shoot 10-bit and 4K with that big, big crop on the OSR. Okay, so right, right. some of those options. Um, now, does it shoot 10-bit really nice internally? or Okay, so it's just it to not. an external recorder. Okay. So, interestingly enough, a camera I was really looking into was the uh, uh, Fujifilm X-T4 as the other option. Kind of, oh, okay. Kind right, of was investigating right. that. And that does shoot 10-bit internal, but there was just too much autofocus drama with that camera um, mm-hmm. for me to to jump on it, particularly for video. I, I haven't heard nearly as much for stills. It's just kind of unreliable. It'll jump on the background. It'll jump on the foreground, and and it mm. won't necessarily stay. Okay. And to me, that's that's uh, pretty much essential. I need it to just kind of sit on on a talking head and not get distracted. So, All right, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no 10-bit internal. It's kind of sad, but who knows? Maybe they'll add in a firmware update. I also really like using the uh, the Ninja. Uh, just, right, the Ninja 5. Yeah, It's really fun. Yeah. I, I experienced shooting that for the Maroon Bells video. If you kind of want to see the EOSR push to the absolute limits of what it's capable of, um, I release, we released a Maroon Bells vlog um, where we went in no, back in November and shot there. Oh, right, yes. And I used the Ninja for most of that. Uh, shoot and I was really happy with how the footage kind of turned out from that and particularly just it's a lot easier to compose with a giant screen like that and um, right so, so what did you kind of sacrifice switching to the the Z6 II sacrifice the flip screen right probably sacrifice 10 bit internal recording um but I saved money on the deal yeah. So the R6 shoots 10-bit internal. I was really interested in looking at getting that camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Z6 has a lot of overheating issues, uh, the, even external. The Z6 does? Excuse or me, the R6? The R6 does. R6 does, okay. The R6 has a lot of overheating issues. It's kind of legendary for all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really, even externally, it has overheating issues, and that's just kind of too far for me. I can't... I. Some of the stuff that we shoot, I need to be able to put the camera up and just leave it and not worry about it. And the R6 has enough overheating issues to kind of make it unapproachable, even mm. though the 10-bit's really awesome. Being able to shoot 4K 10-bit internally is really right, cool. Right. I would rather be able to set my camera up in a way where I can shoot 10-bit unlimited as much as I can purchase storage for and keep the camera powered for um, is attractive right. to me. Right. Well, um, and then the Z6 II is $500 cheaper than the It's $500 cheaper, which R6. basically gets you a Ninja V. We already have one, so I didn't have to work right. that into well, the Right. But you were able to get two lenses, two high-quality, mm-hmm. like, and that's not something... You mean you had multiple lenses with the R6, but it wasn't nothing... Um, yeah, with the EOS R. With the EOS R. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you never had the R6. 24 to 105 f4... Uh, was my lens before. So I, I am losing that 70 to 105 range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can mm-hmm. get that back with the DX crop, but I can't get as far out. One of the really cool things about the EOS R was being able to get out to like 180 millimeters in 4K. Oh, that's true. And I right. did enjoy that some, but getting footage really stable at that range is is tricky on its own. Right, um, right. And well, and now you have the 21.8, which is a better lens mm-hmm. than you ever had on the... Um, the R system and and the R system doesn't really have an equivalent lens to that yet, no, which doesn't. I think is really interesting. I, I feel like Canon kind of needs to fill in that gap pretty mm-hmm. soon because that's a very usable, um, important usable focal range. So 
Yeah, they don't even have a they they don't even have a twenty four uh, prime at this point. Right. They just you you can you can adapt over. You can adapt um, over. But you know that's that's its own thing. So. Well, that's its own thing. And the EOS R itself didn't have uh, IBIS. Right. Now, the oh, R six right, does have IBIS. And what ended up kind of starting to happen was, is I had a certain budget, a specific budget, and this is this is going to happen to everyone when they're switching. You right. kind of have a certain amount of money you have, um, and you can add to that, but it's sometimes it's tricky because you have other things you're trying to save for. Maybe you can't add more to your budget. Right. Um, there's really no way to do it. So I had kind of a specific budget, and I kind of wanted to go on ahead and make the move now um, before we got into a busier shooting season. Um, right. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's a little slower right mm-hmm. now with what we're not able to, we're able only able to get out like once every two to three weeks. And actually on an interesting side note, the, uh, the avalanche danger in Colorado has been actually very crazy right now. So mm-hmm. that's partly why we haven't been able to get out into the mountains very much because it's just, it's kind of, it's a, it's on the dangerous side mm-hmm. for kind of where we were looking to go. Um, you know, if you if you're resort skiing, you're probably not up against it too much. But like mm-hmm. anyone who's into backcountry skiing and or any of that um, hiking, climbing, snowshoeing, which the snowshoeing, hiking, climbing is more what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's not been super safe. So um, we're hoping to get out in the next couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah, for but, sure. But uh, yeah, so it's just kind of been it's kind of been a, a very strange weather um, in Colorado. Um, there's a very weak snowpack, so mm-hmm. you know it's kind of kept us inside, kept us uh, working on other projects. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So the the main let's call it uh, not exactly trade off, but the R6 was pretty easy to disregard pretty quickly just because of some of those issues. I could mm. not afford I could not afford the R5. Uh, that right. just wouldn't work with my system right. uh, and my budget right now. So what I kind of ended up needing to do is kind of looking at, okay, well, what can I get from Fuji? What can I get from Sony? What can I get from Nikon? Mm -hmm. Fuji has the autofocus problems and the X-T4 is really the only choice for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. As much as I I adore the spec sheet on the X-T4, I'm hoping to get a chance to use it some, at some point. Um, It seems like a great camera, but the AF issues there, I really need to be able to rely on that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, So that kind of killed the Fuji idea. So then it came down to Sony or uh, uh, Sony or um, Nikon. Nikon. And so right now, Sony's offerings within my budget line are the A7R3, which, uh, I mean, okay. I'm paying a lot of money for megapixels I'm not going to use. Right. Uh, well, and then the video on that, like we've used the R3 for video and it's mm-hmm. just okay. Yes, it's just okay. The A6600, which I came from, and the color on the Sonys, especially the older Sonys now, so the A6600, which is better than the A7 III, I feel like, but it mm-hmm. still struggles mm-hmm. with color shifts, purple shadows, um, in S-Log, things kind of going very primary color. And I need to be very careful with that because I'm colorblind. Now, the A7S III would have been awesome, but it's out of my budget. Right. Yep, it's that notch more. The A7C doesn't really give me any sort of video upgrade. I I could have absolutely done the A7C. Right. And you very seriously considered it. Very seriously considered it. But uh, the IBIS is about as good as the A7 III in it, Mm -hmm. which isn't amazing. Right. I don't get 4K60, which was 
maybe not an absolute necessity, but it was definitely something I wanted just to have that ability to shoot 4K 60. Right, right, um, right. And uh, the main advantage of that camera is, is it was a squeak cheaper. Um, and uh, it, uh, it was a squeak cheaper and it had the flip screen, fully articulated right, right, flip screen. Right. So uh, right now, like having to make the switch right now without the a7 IV on the table, which who knows what the a7 IV is going to look like, but probably very comparable to maybe a little better than the Z16. Right. What I see is the, the um, a7 IV having that the Z62 doesn't is it, it might be able to do 10-bit internal. I kind of, I well, I kind of look, I look at that as possible, um, but I'm going to go out and step on a limb here and say I actually do not think the A7 IV is going to have a flip screen, and that's going to upset a lot of people. But I think it just makes sense um, from a Sony standpoint. They released the A7C, right, and it has a flip screen, and they're like, this is the camera for vloggers, for you know all of this this area, and then you have the S3. It has a flip screen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you release the a7 IV and it has a flip screen too, like you really, you make those two cameras, like you take a huge chunk out of both of those cameras for, um, their value. Mm -hmm. You hit their value pretty hard. And I think they're already trying to figure out, um, the, the value on the, the S3. I mean, even this new FX3, like it it's if you know if it's only five hundred dollars more than the S three, mm-hmm. like five hundred to a thousand, right? Five hundred to a thousand more than the than the S three. Then, like, there's some interesting problems there for Sony as far mm-hmm. as as all that goes. So I think that the the A seven three is going to have the exact same body as the R four. So no changes. Mm-hmm. It's going to look exactly like the R four. Um, you know, and they in Sony did that a little bit with the uh, with the A1. It's the same body as the A9, so mm-hmm. the A9 too. Excuse me. So you know, I think that that's kind of going to be. I think that the the A7 IV is going to look a lot like mm-hmm. the the Z6 II. I think it may have 10 bit internal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to have 4K 60 at launch. You won't have to wait for it. It'll um, have no record limits. Most it'll have likely. no. That's that's another benefit. So, yeah. The thing about the Z6 II um, is that it's probably a little worse than the A7 IV, possibly a little cheaper than the A7 IV. Right. I have a, I could definitely see the A7 IV hitting 2,500. Yeah. Um, and right. they'll probably make it worth 2,500. They'll add stuff like 10 bit internal. Right. And some of these other features. And you know how many recording modes it's going to have? Will it have all eye recording? Will it have some of these? Um, Right. Well, well right. how much of the S3 is going into the A7 IV is a huge question. Um, but the A7 IV isn't out. Right, that's the um, other thing. And we don't we don't know. Everyone says it's close. But if, if you kind of flash back to the A7 III, like it was close for a long time. Like, so I remember when they announced the, the R3, everyone was convinced that that was the announcement for the a7 III, and that would have been October, um, uh, what was that, 2017? Mm-hmm. Yeah, October 2017. And everyone's like, oh, this is the a7 III announcement, and then it kind of leaked an, an hour or two before that, nope, this mm-hmm. is the R3, and then the a7 III wasn't announced till the next April, and then actually in hands uh, next June. So, mm-hmm. you know, more than six months later, yeah. People were actually using the A7 III. So, 
And I don't think Sony's in a hurry, honestly, with the A7 III. I mean, yeah, the, A- um, the A7 IV. I'm sorry, yes, the A7 IV. I, I don't see why they would be, especially with the A7C, I think, selling fairly well. Mm-hmm. And the, the A7 III is still selling well. Well, and it's, so, it holds its own better than it probably should, particularly for still shooters. Right. Um, the video side is where Canon uh, and... Nikon have chipped away at it the most effectively right, right. F- on a spec sheet, which is, you know, for a lot of people, they have to make decisions based off of a spec sheet. Right. They don't get to try out different cameras. And I did try the a seven three and I didn't love that camera. Um, to be entirely honest with you, just the, the, the way that that camera operated and the colors right. that came off of it and some of those things, I, well, I know I'm being controversial here, but I'm also being subjective. That's my opinion. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, you may, you may or may not like it, but way. another, another factor with the Z6 II is that it is very weather sealed and very mm-hmm. durable. Nikon has really, um, really done a great job with their Z cameras on making them very durable mm-hmm. and reliable. And that and, really did factor in. Uh, to my decision making as well. Right. I really want to be able to leave my camera out confidently on the capture clip, even when it's raining. Because, um, like on Huron, uh, right. we right. got stuck in a very cinematic, epic storm, kind of. It wasn't. It would have been. Yeah. It, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. It wasn't lightning, but it was raining really hard, and uh, the wind was blowing around. And I would have loved to have just put my microphone away and kept shooting um, through that that segment. And that was with a Sony, the a 6600 that I was using at that point. Right. And I just did not feel comfortable no. putting my Sony right. through that. Right. I'm um, maybe I'll eat my words and I'll destroy the Z six two. But, um, I, I think from my experience, with the D 500, right. Well, and then there's cameras, lots of, of videos out there of people taking their Z cameras into pretty extreme situations. Mm-hmm. And so, so and the very fat last thing was, is I'm really looking for a camera for 2021. Like at its baseline, I'm looking for a camera for this year. If the Z6 II blows me away and I'm able to use it for two to three years, that's awesome. Right, right. But really what I'm looking for is, is I'm like, well, I'm, you know, my resources are going other places this year. I really want to get the best quality I can for the productions we're going to make this year. Mm. Um, and I'm going to reevaluate next year once the a7 IV is out and readily available assuming it is of course and sony right. doesn't wait another year on that camera um uh, <laughs> plot I, twist i remember that the a7 III took forever to come out forever and ever um right so that you will have to wait and see but I'm, I'm also curious to see what canon does they have a bunch of cameras coming out fuji does they might release the xh two this year oh yeah and that um, that could be really interesting that could be really interesting i mean even down to if my budget could fit it whatever this sony uh fx3 is and kind of giving it a year but i i really like the capabilities that i have right so I'm, I'm pleased with the switch obviously it it is always kind of you're opening yourself up to disappointment if the a74 gets announced next week and it's incredible, right. incredible. And two thousand right. dollars but um uh, well, but you'll be able to, and also like, will the a seven four have solved the color issues? Because I do feel like that Nikon's baseline color is better than Sony's. It, mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think you can make that argument as much with the, the S three and the a one with some of the new modes that they have in it mm-hmm. in the color science, but I don't see all that being in the a seven four. I think a lot of people, I mean, Sony's in a little bit of a lose lose situation here because the hype like they got this reputation now for giving, you know, everything in a camera. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And like, I, I feel like people are kind of setting themselves up for disappointment with the a7 IV because it's just, they can't, Sony can't. Mm-hmm. Like they can't make it almost, I mean, they have cannibalized to some degree, but um, mm-hmm. the the a7 IV can't really rival the a, the S3 in the same way, you know? They, mm-hmm. they And then if it does, then that means that they have to give the S3 a long time to sell and, 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 you know, get into the market, which means that the a7 IV is further out than what people are saying. So, and that may have the spec sheet you want it to have. Yeah. Right. It may have the exact spec sheet you're wanting to have, but it's, it's not going to be till next spring. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you want the, the, uh, the a7 IV to have a flip screen and, uh, 4k 120, it's probably not until a spring 2022 release. It's just not well, before then. And is Sony going to focus on the still side of the a7 IV? Right. Because resolution. Right. And kind of leave the video in a similar place to where it is now. That would be, that's another, that's another factor to consider. Um, and you know, also, you know, something else that they could do is that they could try to make a splash with the video on the a7 IV and make it shoot 6k. Mm-hmm. Um, but not have any of the frame rate things and some of those that like an actual video maker kind of wants, but 6K would sell a lot of A7 IVs oh, yeah. to people kind of in like, you know, uh, like kind of the, the A7 IV range. It's, it's mm-hmm. not a, a videographer's camera necessarily, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, we should. Uh, yeah, we should probably move on. From, probably move on. Uh, but I'm very excited about the Nikon and there will be videos coming out soon about uh more details on it, more footage right. from it for sure. So, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. Cool. So, um, our main topic that we're going to talk about, we're already a half hour in. So, um, but it is, it is kind of what we, what we, what we're going to talk about is that, uh, Fuji, um, right after the A1 was announced. And this was either really poor timing on Fuji's part or I, I'm not sure. Maybe it was, really amazing timing. It was I'm a, not sure. Yeah, it was a day after the A1 was announced, and we made that whole podcast and everything reacting to the A1. Um, Fuji just kind of quietly announced the GFX 100S, mm-hmm. and like I saw a headline about it on you know um, news sites that I saw, and I'm like, oh okay, that's interesting. But then um, you know started looking at it more, and like. You know, I, I, you know, I've looked at the GFX 100, not seriously, but I've been like, wow, this camera is really cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's medium format. It's, it's, you know, the, the, the pinnacle for a landscape photographer. So of mm-hmm. course I'm going to kind of know about it a little bit. And I start doing like research into the, the 100S and I'm like, oh wait, so you mean it has the same sensor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has IBIS. Yep. It has IBIS. Um, takes the X-T4 battery. Yep. It has, uh. <laughs> Um, raw, uh, it shoots, um, video, um, 12 bit raw, 12 bit raw external video. Yep. Just like the, um, and it's the size of an S one R. So it's smaller and lighter and, oh yes, it's $4,000 less than the, the GFX 100. And like my mind was kind of blown by this, Mm -hmm. like, Wait, what did what did Fuji just do? And I don't think we can kind of see how this is going to affect the industry yet. But it's it is affecting. We know that it's pre-selling at a rate that Fuji was not ready for mm-hmm. at all. Um, it's, and it's a very difficult to argue with spec sheet, um, right? 
And from all accounts, from firsthand accounts, like the autofocus is good. Obviously, it's not like an A9. So if you're comparing it to the mm -hmm. A9, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. Or the the new A1. But the autofocus is really good. Um, it's a very stable. The IBIS is great. Like people are shooting handheld 100 megapixel shots with it. And so um, I think we're, I'm, I'm wondering if, and I think the question that, that I kind of wanted to ask today was like, you know, the A1 is, is, is kind of the, the hyped up camera right now and, and the R5 and all of these, but is this GFX100S actually the most important camera that's come out in a while? Mm -hmm. Like, is it going to change? And we won't know for a minute, but is mm -hmm. this actually going to change the industry in a way that like almost like the the original 5D did, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was when when full frame became the thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the 5D did it again with the Mark II with the video thing, but we can't not going to get into all that. But well, it kind of does do some of that though with the video side. Yeah, there's really never been a medium format camera except for the GFX 100 that had some of these video specs and uh, very respected videographers loved what they were able to do with the GFX 100. Yeah. I think you mentioned Philip Bloom, who is uh, a, yes, Philip Bloom. He's an enormously popular and respected um, YouTube videographer. Mm -hmm. And he also worked with uh, BBC for many years on a number of different documentaries and yeah. very, very experienced. Uh, he loved the GFX 100 and this camera only builds on that with less overheating issues um, and a number of other uh, like tiny little details with the autofocus, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it's also $4,000 less. It's, um, you know, it's, it's just a little bit, it's about the same price as the uh, FX6 now that I'm thinking about it. What Which, is the, uh, the 100S? The 100S. Yes, the 100S, yeah. So, you know, granted, you know, you're not getting 4K60 out of this camera. Um, you're not right. getting a lot of those high-end stuff. But if if what you want is a meat and potatoes, excellent image well, at 24p. Yeah. I mean, 12-bit raw is exactly. is more than than meat and potatoes. Like that, that's mm -hmm. really you're doing a lot of cool stuff with that. Like it's mm -hmm. not the um, the high frame rate thing. And you know, like. I, I don't think that the high frame rate thing is a trend per se, but it definitely, um, well, it's already doesn't seem as important as it, as it used to. Like there was a time, like I kind of look at when Peter McKinnon broke big, mm -hmm. when, you know, 120 B roll and 4k 60 and 120 B roll suddenly seemed like, Oh, this is a must have. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that like I used it a little bit on the R five, mm -hmm. but not, well, it, it yeah. has a look. It, it has a does. look. It yeah. has a look, and there's kind of nothing you can do to stop that. And and there's uh, limitations with lights flickering and yeah. uh, being more difficult. I, that may be more specific to our work, but it's been very frustrating, right? Um, with some of the stuff that we do on the uh, more corporate side of what we what we shoot, right? Uh, but, but yeah, uh, curving back to the stills on this. Like medium format, like when you really think about it, it's, so it's it's a one, it's a one point seven times the size of full frame. So it's a bigger jump from full frame to medium format. Fuji medium format. Um, medium format can be 
lots of different sizes. And mm. like, that's going to be one thing that you're going to hear as you look into it a lot more is that like, Oh, well, you know, um, phase one medium format is, is a totally different medium format. It just basically the term medium format means anything bigger than full frame. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about Fuji full uh, medium format, it's 1.7 size uh, times the size of full frame. So it is a um, bigger jump mm-hmm. from full frame to Fuji medium format than APS-C is to full frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the exact sizes of 43.8 millimeters by 32.9 millimeters. Right. Which is a uh, uh, 35 millimeter is full frame. So you can kind of get a feeling. Right. And uh, it's there larger it is. 16 bit raw files that this is going to shoot. So like you are the, the, the color information and just the, the actual information that you're getting off of this sensor is, is kind of unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I'm, you know, deep diving in on some of the research with this and looking at, at images and stuff, you can really see it. Um, especially with the landscape images, like the gradation in color and the, and the shifts and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of this weird trend when the R4 came out that like medium format has come to full frame or like like it might as well be a medium format camera at 61 megapixels. Mm-hmm. But I think if you actually look at the files, you know, and you're not looking at them one-to-one next to each other, but actually just look at some of the files and see the color and the dynamic range. You're going to be like, well, it's, it's a different, it's a, it's a bit of a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I'm curious about, like, is, is this going to, has Fuji kind of brought this down into the mainstream enough that it's going to start changing the industry towards where Sony, I don't know about Canon Nikon. Like it's been rumored for a long time that Sony has medium format, at least worked on it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, is this is this going to be a watershed moment where f- medium format becomes something that is is more common and readily available mm-hmm. and and more mainstream, for lack of a better word? Oh well, yeah, I mean, when we were first getting interested uh, in photography and stuff, uh, quite a while ago now, like the early twenty teens, um, medium format was a like full frame was the God camera kind of and medium was. format was the mythical camera, like right, beyond, yeah. beyond, beyond yes. what you could imagine. Like we're talking about Hasselblads that are $40,000. I, I may be a little inaccurate with my pricing there, but yeah, like, or phase ones that are $60,000 or whatever. Just yeah. like the idea of a camera with a sensor that big and the resolutions even back then were, were crazy high um, right. kind of just, you don't even think about it. Um, right. You wouldn't even think about it because, you, you know, you, you're going to have to be 20 years into a very successful career to own a camera like that. Mm-hmm. So you just don't think about it. But now we're talking about a camera that costs uh, maybe give or take $500 the same as a, a 1DX line or right. this Sony A1. It's $500 cheaper than that camera. Right. It's cheaper than the A1. Uh, and yeah. doubles the megapixels. It's a twice the megapixels. Right. Um, and it does so at um, with, you know, the, the pixels are, are bigger. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that all adds the math. I'm not going to figure that all out. But the, 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 like if you have a 100 megapixel full frame sensor, like those pixels are, are small. 
right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're getting smaller and smaller, whereas you have larger pixels on this 100 megapixel medium format camera. Mm -hmm. Which is going to help preserve low light performance. Right. And uh, color integrity, right. et cetera. Yep, yep. Um, it's, uh, I think it's it's really exciting. I think in the end, $6,000 is a little beyond industry takeover. Uh, right. I'm, um, I'm saying, it, is this a first step? And obviously mm -hmm. it's sold, it's selling very well. Like people are adopting it. And also, interestingly enough, the lenses are very good the mm -hmm. fuji gf lenses are very like everything that i can see like optically perfect keeps mm -hmm. coming up like in researching these lenses and um and they're not they are not much more than full frame mm -hmm. honestly honestly they're on par with full frame like the the 45 to 100 which is the kind of 24 to 70 equivalent it's not quite as wide as 24 70 it's actually like 35 to 80 which is kind of a different mm -hmm. focal range um, but, um, it's the same as, as Canon and Sony's and Nikon's 2470s. Like it's the same price. Um, and, uh, so, and you know, it's F4 constant, which comes out to 3.5 to three mm -hmm. on, in, in, uh, F-stop. Yeah, actually um, I, I have the conversion here, but yeah, it's very similar. It's, you know, it, it comes out being very similar. Uh, um, it's an F3. F3. Okay. So. Very similar to f2.8. Yeah, very similar to f2.8. Yeah, very close. So I just I, I just find this an interesting, and you know, it's a bigger lens than those lenses, but not outrageously so. And and this camera being the same size as an S1R, which mm -hmm. I've held and, and used and actually really liked that camera for um, landscape photography. Mm -hmm. Like as far as just like holding a camera, like I haven't held a camera that was like, okay, yeah, this is going to hold up to whatever I put it through. Like mm -hmm. it had its own issues, um, but it, it was a, it was a great system. And it seems like Fuji um, has really is bringing the heat with it. And they have a significantly lar a larger library of lenses than I would have ever thought mm -hmm. um, for, uh, for the GFX line. Um, they've got some great, Primes. They just released a uh, eighty millimeter one point seven, mm. which is uh, a fifty. What so I don't know. It's a sixty three millimeter f one point three, is what it oh, looks okay. like. Right. Um, Interesting. So we're talking about just below one point four um, on that regard. Now, exactly how the aperture translates is going to be controversial. Yes. There's yeah, going to be are gonna, whole, yeah, yeah. whole videos made on this. These aperture numbers I'm referencing here are purely based off of the crop factor, which I believe is points. 1.7. 1. 1. Yeah. Or it's 0. 0.7. Oh, um, right, right. Because it, it, they get bigger. But um, there's going to be whole videos made on this. I, there probably already are videos made on, on exactly how to translate the aperture because it, it doesn't quite translate one-to-one, -one, I'm sure. Right. It's, it's a kind um, of a different animal. Kind of a different animal, but... Uh, that's a really fast lens and uh, you know, it's, it, you do get 1.2 from Canon and full frame just because of how successful full frame's been is going to kind of have an R and D head start. Yes. And they're going to no be joke. able to uh, sell lenses uh, at a slightly cheaper price because of volume. There's a lot of things supporting full frame. So the question is, is if you can already do this, 
with Fuji's current user base and expected sales, you can already get to 1.3. Mm-hmm. What does a 80 millimeter 1.2 look like? That's right. You know, that's yeah. in a different stratosphere of, of capability. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is just like comparing APS-C to full frame. There are things you can always do to help APS-C compete better, but you can apply the exact same logic to full frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the advantage of full frame back. Uh, right. So you, so like an example of this would be using an F2.8 zoom on APS-C, which is actually hard to get because they don't make very many of those. But if you use a 2.8 right. zoom on an APS-C camera, you basically have an F4 zoom on a full frame camera. Right. But you can put an F2.8 zoom on a full frame camera. So it's, it's, uh, it's really exciting to see as Fuji continues to flesh out this lineup, what they're going to be able to do and possibly even other companies in the future. Right. I, I predict that Sony will get in on this, mm-hmm. um, especially with how successful they're probably looking at Fuji very carefully right now, mm-hmm. because I think in a lot of ways, Fuji like is not a brand I have known much at all about. So mm-hmm. like I've kind of looked into it a lot over the last few weeks after this camera was announced. Like, it's just not, I mean, I knew the X-T4 was a thing. I knew the X-T3 was a thing. Like, I knew it was good for color. Um, It's better for color than I was thinking. (laughs) I've actually Mm -hmm. um, downloaded RAW files and worked with them and kind of been blown away. Mm -hmm. And that's with um, both medium format and their X series, which is the Mm APS-C. And um, I think that that Fuji is is an interesting company, what they're trying to do, Mm -hmm. because they have these two lines and one is the the X line, which is APS-C, and then the GFX, which is the medium format. Mm-hmm. And the X line is, you know, all about you know size, weight, portability, mm-hmm. still maximizing. It's kind of maxing out APS-C. It is, is mm-hmm. kind of what it feels like, um, like doing the most you can possibly squeeze out of APS-C. Fuji's probably doing it on the X line. Mm-hmm. And then they're leaning into what you're getting on the GFX line, which is image quality, you know, on another level. Mm-hmm. And they're doing things like, you know, making the the GFX 100S super weather sealed and durable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not like, I think medium format cameras have kind of gotten this reputation for being like, oh, I wouldn't use that as a landscape camera because it's super fragile, super expensive. Mm-hmm. But and I think super big and heavy and like super th- big and heavy, in the past. right? But this is that's not this camera, and mm-hmm. it uses the same battery as the XT4. So you kind of have this juxtaposition of these two systems that are uh, that are. I think they're being kind of leveraged to their maximum potential. So it's it's a smart move. Like I don't think that that Canon and Nikon are leveraging APS-C in only a value perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sony, did I say Sony? Uh, well, whichever. The, yeah, the, Sony's doing a better job than we have to be fair. Sony's doing a better job with APS-C than I think Canon and, and Nikon are doing at this point. Y- yes, yes. At, at least from a lens perspective, they actually have a new, clean sixteen to fifty-five two point eight, and uh, right, uh, you know, a few primes and stuff. Although Sony has been deeply neglecting their APS-C lineup right. for a long time well, as they all have. That's been. what, that's what I'm saying though, is I think that they're, they look at it mainly as their value line. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah, this is our value line. And that's not how Fuji is looking at the X, their X mm-hmm. line. Like it's not their value line. It's their, this is our smaller, lighter, 
um, you know, and they're still super weather sealed, super durable and, and premium feeling. So mm-hmm. I just, I think that's an interesting, like, I'd like to see what Canon would do with that. I mean, they did, they have in the past, like the, mm-hmm. the, the seven D series. Um, I mean, that's one of mm-hmm. the first cameras I had and used. And I loved that camera. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that I, that I've actually, you know, loved a camera as much since, you know, getting that camera, mm-hmm. um, was a huge deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, getting an original 7D mm-hmm. and like, it was like, you know, so durable and, and like, it was like, you know, had the same body design as a 5D and all that stuff and Indeed. loved it. And but, then the D500. But what um, Fuji's doing is, is they're backing up, they're, they're backing up good camera bodies, which all the camera companies have done good APS-C camera bodies. Right. They're backing up good camera bodies with good lenses. That is true. APS-C. That is true. Um, the 50 millimeter F 1.0, all of their, their tiny little, um, like 2.8 and 16 to 55, two, eight primes and 50 to 140, 2.8. Like they're the only camera company that has a 70 to 200, like a high end 70 to 200 equivalent lens. Um, it, it's, it's, is going to be more like a four on full frame. With yeah. The translation. However, that works. Yeah. However, that works. But it's they're the only ones that have done it, um, and all the other camera companies have have just not taken the lens side seriously, and that's because they they want you to get the full frame camera and the full right. frame lenses and right. move through their full frame lineup. So it doesn't really make sense for them to do it. The only reason it makes sense for Fuji is they don't have full frame to send you to. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But now they have medium format, and I think they're kind of. They're not designing these systems to compete with one another. I think they're designing them to kind of work with one another. Mm-hmm. They kind of uh, they kind of cover each other's and fill each other's gaps mm-hmm. in an interesting way. So um, anyway, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where where this medium format thing goes. Mm-hmm. And I also like you know we kind of moved into this kind of uh, somewhat unintentionally, but I also would like to see. Um, Canon, Nikon, Sony were treat their APS-C lines with a little more respect. I think there's more to be squeezed out of there mm-hmm. than um, than what they're than what they're doing. Like mm-hmm. I think there's right now it's just kind of the assumption is is that the future is full frame, and you know I I, I think that that's that's going to be true to a certain degree, mm-hmm. right? Well, there are rumors circulating that Canon's going to keep their EOS M line alive. For at least another year, they're going to release cameras this year. Um, you know, we'll have to see where that goes. You could definitely make a, a jaw-dropping APS-C camera from Canon if they wanted to. They don't really right. have a great or expansive lens lineup for EOS M, uh, so right. I wouldn't be surprised if that's an RF camera meant to be used with full-frame lenses, uh, which is what normally happens with their high-end. APS-C cameras, the R7, I think is what they're, they're thinking it may be called. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, there's rumors circulating about that, but yeah, I, I mean, earlier on I said that, uh, you know, the $6,000 camera really isn't, uh, you know, because it's that expensive, it doesn't really have the ability to make a huge dent in the camera industry, mm-hmm. but it's easy to forget that, that, uh, that Fuji actually has two older cameras the uh, GFX 50R, that's the original uh, mm-hmm. GFX camera, and the GFX 50S, 
And those two cameras are starting to reach down into the 3000s. I think it's it's reverse of that. The 50S was the their first one. And then the R is the new smaller rangefinder one. It is reversed. Yeah. You're right. Yep. The 50S is the 100S's for father uh, in that lineup. But those two cameras are starting to reach under $4,000. Yep. They're not that old. They still, I mean, you're missing that 100 megapixels. So you're getting the sensor size advantage, but you're not getting the, the resolution, resolution advantage. advantage. Yeah. Um, which is a it, which is a big deal, but I could absolutely see particularly landscape photographers and portrait photographers being like, well, Fuji has some incredible cameras for me to grow into. And I really would like to set myself apart from smartphone photography and and provide my clients with something that looks different and mm-hmm. unique that has nice colors that uh, you know, I could throw the uh, uh, this 80 millimeter f1.7 on there, and uh, and get some really good depth of field as well. Mm. Um, just really kind of set yeah. themselves apart and do something different, right? Than the full frame stuff. I realize that the IAF with full frame right now is incredible, right? All the camera companies have incredible IAF right now, and you right. are kind of sacrificing that. But I think that it's now a compelling system to look at seriously. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. if you don't have $6,000 to spend on a camera. And that's where the GFX 50 S, uh, per, per, maybe even more particularly the GFX 50 R, which is a little newer and a little right. cheaper. Um, those two cameras are going to give you uh, something unique and different, and they're not going to cost you an arm and a leg. And that's never been something yeah, you could do before. Never. Like full frame was like as big as you were going to get. And, um, and I, I think, you know, it makes sense like that, that this is the natural progression. Like, um, like your pic, you can only make pixels so small on a full frame sensor and still be able to capture data and light accurately, Mm -hmm. like color, light, all of that. Like, you know, the, um, the, um, a seven R fours ISO, is, is not as good as the A7R 3 And I used both cameras. I used them next to each other. And in low light, you definitely felt the 61 megapixels, you know, which is 20 more than 20-some, um, oh, or close to 20 more than, than the R3. Maybe not exactly 20, but... Um, and I think that's just going to be, you know, you, the camera, they've done an amazing job. Like, as far as anyone can tell, this A1 has very good low light performance. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know whether it's the same as the A9, but you know, there's limits to physics. And so in order to have those pixels grow in resolution and capture data, the pixels have to get bigger. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think it's going to be interesting to see if this is kind of a, the beginning of something or whether this is just kind of Fuji's thing and the other companies are, are more. Well, I think that more and more people are going to have to actually compare Mm, and that's mm. going to land a lot more people in Fuji's court than before. Because with medium format, it's always been, well, I need to save up for two years or take out a giant loan to get into medium format. And now right. people's full frame systems are sellable and you can buy medium format instead. Yeah, And that's going to convert people just because medium format's interesting and exciting to some degree. Um, 
And these cameras look, uh, particularly the GFX 100S, looks incredibly capable. Yes. Um, and because it it appears incredibly capable, and when the reviews well, finally come out, it's the first yeah. medium format camera you could shoot a wedding with. Like, let's be honest. I mean, maybe the 100 you could argue because mm-hmm. it has really good autofocus too. But these, so between these two cameras, like this is you could shoot a wedding with either of those cameras, mm-hmm. and. That's just not been like a phase one thing where you shoot a phase one wedding, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's just not mm-hmm. not where it's been. But um, uh, but yet now you can mm-hmm. like and people will and they will charge more. Mm-hmm. And I think you know you're gonna look at it down the road and just be like, hey, I can shoot your wedding with a medium format camera. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? Well, it means the sensor is as big as you can get. Like mm-hmm. your images will have better color better dynamic range. You'd be able to print them bigger if people do that with wedding. I don't know whether they do that. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. some people, but, um, you know, I, it's, it, it's a leg up. Like mm-hmm. it's a way to stand out and be like, you know, my work is well. And then for all intents and purposes, like I'm kind of trying to create medium format. Like this image behind me mm-hmm. was a panorama. It's a, you know, like 115, 120 megapixel panorama, right. Mm-hmm. That I created, which is kind of, to get that medium format resolution and look like mm-hmm. that was the whole point. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, uh, I think it's going to be interesting. So, yeah, it's going to be really in- interesting to see where that goes. And it's also going to be in- interesting to see. It's going to be really in- interesting to see what the 100 R is and what price point they go for. With that will be interesting. Yeah. Because, if you can get this camera to 4,500, that's just another, um, if they could get this camera to 4,500, that means that the 50R and the 50S are going to be even cheaper. Just right. they're going to be forced down in value. Right. Um, which kind of stinks if you're an owner of a 50S and a 50R, but it's going to, you know, you might be able to in a year or maybe a year and a half, you might be able to get a, medium format camera for under $3,000 or right at $3,000. And that's really game changing because that's like 5d money and you're getting a medium format camera. Right. It won't be the top of the line medium format camera. Right. But it's going to trickle down and it's going to start like, I think what this does, what the, the 100 S does is it starts putting pressure on the top end of the full frame industry. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you were someone who looks at an A7 and an A1, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if you're a landscape portrait photographer, mm-hmm. how can you not look at the 100S? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you're a wildlife photographer, then don't. That, yeah, don't mm-hmm. waste your time. But if you are a, a wedding portrait photographer, you should look at it. Like, mm-hmm. at least look at it. And I think that's just going to continue. It's going to keep putting pressure putting pressure down on full frame more and more. Um, well, you know, and it, if- it kind of makes sense. I mean, here's the thing about the A1. Image quality is amazing. It mm-hmm. is. Yes. It's got 50 megapixels. That's awesome. But you're paying $6,500 for 50 megapixels, and you can pay about $1,000 for 42 megapixels. Now, totally different cameras. Right. But also completely different price points, and the true resolution between the A7R2 Right. And the A1 are completely, are, are very similar. Yeah. 
So when you think about being someone whose focus is image quality, which mm -hmm. is a lot of photographers, not every photographer, a lot of the time it, it really is the autofocus. Yeah. You're trying to balance autofocus with frames per second with all these different things. And smaller sensors have, have always had advantages in those arenas as yes. photography, mar as uh, technology marches forward. They kind of get a lot of that stuff first. Right. Um, but as if you're looking to spend that much money, there kind of hasn't been a camera at that price point that's like, let me give you twice the megapixels right? as what those cameras are shooting. And if your focus is image quality, not autofocus heavy shoots, it's image quality first mm -hmm. and foremost. Right. There's now a pro camera at that $6,000 price point that gives you image quality first. And right. usability being something that's still present. It's still a usable camera. It right. Shoots it's, the video. autofocus is functional. The autofocus it, is good. And it has some of those missing links that it really needs. A large sensor, high resolution sensor needs stabilization to be usable. Yep. Handheld. Right. Um, and it 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 has those two things. And that's just gonna get better as the I mean, I don't know, maybe they'll do a one fifty S, but I I my kind of guess is, is we're going to get Mark twos of all of these cameras. Yes, I would agree. Um, I think 100 was kind of what they were going for. They, when they launched the 50 and the, the, the 50s and the 50 R. Right. I think yeah. hundred was probably the plan. Well, um, and at the time when those came out, like, uh, the, um, the 50 R came, the 50 S came out in 20, uh, 17, January 19th, 2017. Okay. So four years ago. Mm -hmm. And 50 megapixels was was a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, the R2 is out. The R3 was out. The 5 DSR out. was out. The D850 was out. The 5 DSR, yeah. But so, yeah. The Sony cameras have really good image quality at their 40 megapixels. The 5 DSR, though, actually had some image quality issues. It, it, it did. Had uh, terrible dynamic, dynamic range. Dynamic yeah. range and not great low light performance. So you do get kind of those, let's say the image flexibility while maintaining um, a high resolution. That's what medium format offers. Yep. Whereas like full frame can give you a really high resolution image, but you may have to do some trade-offs. It's the same thing that happens with micro four thirds or APS-C. Eventually you're just pushing the the pushing the tech up gets harder and it just gets easier to make the sensor bigger. Right. To get right. those advantages. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that there's not very many people thinking, hmm, A1 or GFX 100S, you know. I, I, don't, I don't really, like... There's probably not very many, but there are. There are people that are thinking that. But if you were getting the GFX 50, if you were getting the A1, sorry, uh, for the image quality because it... it uh, Maybe the A7R4, there's something on it you don't like. The autofocus isn't super reliable, so you just want the, just want that extra resolution over an A7R3 or something. Right. You may really look at this camera because it's a little cheaper. It's twice the megapixels. You're keeping a lot of of really cool functionality. Right. It, it's a really exciting camera, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think that's partly maybe why why we actually made this is because it's been a while since there's like. Oh wow! Something could really change, mm -hmm. you know. Like it's not just going to be stats on the back of the box. It's going to be like well, a whole different way mm -hmm. that photography works. And uh, you know, I think it's it, it may it may wind up just kind of being Fuji's thing. And it, if it is, that may be great. I mean, that's great for Fuji. Mm -hmm. 
But I also could see this being a moment where we're like, wow, this is the moment where like Sony was like, okay, we need to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. I have never heard any rumors about Canon or Nikon doing anything with medium format. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just kind of anticipate Sony being ahead of them on this. Mm-hmm. Um, they were so slow to the, to the mirrorless game that mm-hmm. they're going to be slow to this too. Um, if if it if it truly is an ongoing trend, mm-hmm. I, I would definitely expect to see a Fuji. I mean, not excuse me, a Sony medium format line before we see anything like that from Canon or Nikon. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. unless unless they really are are doing this under the radar and they saw this coming, but they didn't see mirrorless coming, at least not not fast they enough. They didn't see so, it coming the way that it ended up happening. I mean, they were well. I think. Sony even sort of saw it coming, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the A7 one when it was released, like that it was novelty. It was like it, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it felt like this camera, didn't it? Mm-hmm. You're like, "Oh wow, it's a full frame mirrorless camera," which you know, mirrorless cameras were so niche then. Mm-hmm. We're like, "Well, this is full frame. It's the same size as the 5D." Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. thinking that when seeing it like, "Wow, that's really something." But it was it was a it was a niche camera at the time. Mm-hmm. And then they did the A7 II. And then the the R and the R2. And then suddenly once you had the R2, people were like, oh, wait, this is legit. Full frame mirrorless. Well, and expect to hear a lot of the same arguments too. Right. Because people are going to run into the same problems why they can't switch. People are going to run into autofocusing or it doesn't shoot fast enough frames per second or et cetera. Mm-hmm. Or it's maybe it's not reliable enough or that's missing this lens that I need. All of those same arguments that people levied against Sony. For mirrorless. Full frame mirrorless. For full yeah. frame mirrorless, they're going to levy against this. I mean, as a matter of fact, there's a there's a non-zero chance that there's a comment in the comment section right now of somebody being like, I could never buy a GFX 100S because of the, uh, it doesn't have this lens I really want. Right. Or it doesn't have the Canon 50 millimeter F 1.2. And, uh, you know, as you said on the podcast, the uh, Fuji GFX has nothing that fast. Um, right. It's, you know, it's, it's a really interesting... It's going to be really in- interesting to see how the market responds, but I do think it is interesting how su- maybe not as big of a deal as I would have thought this camera would be, possibly just because the A1 came out, or maybe just people are like, medium format can't be that big of a deal. It's right. just, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it, it, but it, I, think it, I think it will be, and I think as this camera starts showing up in people's hands and they're creating things, like... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a video. I will link to it in the description. Um, I will figure out his name. I think his name is Brian. Um, oh boy, here if I get on my uh, YouTube history, I can I can figure out his name. So he got to use the GFX early. He's a, he's a Fuji shooter, so that's just you know take that for what you will. But he created these landscape images in. Uh, in Arizona and just watching them on my TV mm-hmm. was with my daughter kind of taking care of her watching on the TV. I was like, these are incredible. Um, his name is, uh, Brian minor minor or minor. I will link to the video, but they really, there is something intangible about it. Like with them, like I would have picked up on it even if I didn't, because I only sort of was paying attention. This was the first video that I watched about the GFX that actually kind of woke me up to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I'm like, those images are really good. There's something really cool about what he's doing. And granted, he's a great photographer and he's using his tools well. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. And, you know, you can always argue, like, you can shoot fantastic images with any modern camera. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're going to need for medium format in order to take great pictures. I'm never going to say that. Mm-hmm. But there is, there is um, having a really powerful tool and then taking your skills to the next level is just going to create even more, you know, great things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think we can kind of probably wrap up there. So indeed, um, yeah. if you uh, enjoyed this video, we, uh, once again, we would love it if you'd give it a like and indeed. subscribe for more content like this. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't uh, know if you, if you wanted to see some photos and video about the GFX 100 S you may want to subscribe, but yeah, yeah maybe, maybe, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say for <laughs> sure, but um, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And yep. uh, once again, if you would also maybe leave us a review on iTunes, you can also subscribe. This is an audio first podcast if you hadn't noticed we haven't really been showing a bunch of stuff right right or right anything like that um so we so yeah we are available on itunes we i think we, yeah, we did mention yeah. at the beginning but indeed so if you you can check us out there anywhere you listen to your podcasts so. including spotify oh we're on spotify ooh, now yeah. so there you go <laughs> all right well we will uh see you on the next adventure see you on the next adventure <laughs>